make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. So, welcome to Polite Conversations, panel 11, with two wonderfully lefty YouTubers. I have ContraPoint and H-Bomber Guy here with me, and we are going to discuss the evil left today. Hello, guys. I'd like to uh, thank my cousin, Chris, for giving me the name H-Bomb when I was four years old and permanently dooming me to this career uh, <laughs> and to never be being taken seriously. Uh Politically, thank you. Oh, isn't that awful? Like some random screen name that you chose as an undergraduate is now that's your career now. That's your brand your forever, forever, right? forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that true? Your cousin Chris gave you that name? Yeah, yeah. One like when I was like five, six, he was like, "I've been coming up with nicknames for everyone, uh, and your name's H Bomb now." And I was like, "Oh, that's great." And then one day when I was maybe twelve, I was playing Age of Mythology. I wanted to play online, and the name H Bomb was taken, and that's. And now I'm locked in. That that was me for life. Uh, <laughs> well, that's going to be you when you're like running for government or something. <laughs> that's funny because I like, yeah, ContraPoints was something I chose when I made a YouTube channel. It was an undergraduate um, and the YouTube channel was pretty not related to the, this one. So it's just funny because like the amount of time and effort I would put into choosing a name now, knowing how much of a role this this has in my life, like it's just funny how little effort went into it initially. But it's good because they're both not like, you know, names that pin you to a position, right? Yeah. Oh, it could oh, be worse. Yeah. I mean, I could be right. The Amazing Libertarian or something, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, like, I, I am basically unable to ever, like, transition, um, for example. like Oh, I yeah, because you're, you're gendered, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, how I, fucking yeah. lucky am I, right, that I just happened to be a gender-neutral name? You yeah. could be H-Bomber Girl. Yeah, that's still, like, a lot of brand recognition that I would lose. Yeah. yeah. Forgive me, I'm drinking a bunch of um of water. I've been I've been drinking um coffee with soy milk in it for the last two months. And uh actually soy milk's really nice because normal milk is um poison. Uh <laughs> poison invented like we we drank regular milk prior to into pasteurization, which is ridiculous. Any food that we consumed before we invented the way of making it not poisonous is probably something we shouldn't even have now. Something's wrong anyway. I've but uh, soy milk's fine, but it makes your teeth all weird. So you like, I drink more water now. So oh, I like I like soy milk a lot, and not just mm. because it turns me into a cock. <laughs> it's great, but it just um, it's it like coats your teeth slightly more than than you'd want it to. So I, I try and drink more water to compensate. Anyway, uh, I've been actually that's something we need to talk about after this. Just the uh, the sort of what c- considering that soy apparently has a feminizing effect. Mm. Um, and that there are people in the world who might even find that desirable. Um, I'm really curious to hear about my experience of, yeah. with soy milk, a failed experiment <laughs> in feminization. <laughs> yeah. Is that an upcoming Contra video? Alas, no. Aww. But um, I might get I might get mentioned here and there. Yeah, it depends I, how I, long I, this Paul Joseph Watson like lolcal provides. Yeah, my my goal. I'd like. I'm writing the video now and I kind of want to do a section where I like 
maybe I should, you know, ask a trans person about this. And I pick up like a, a giant oversized comedy telephone with pictures of various <laughs> left-leaning YouTubers on it. And I press the one that's conscious face. And, and then like, I don't know. You could you could write your end of a of a fictional phone conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad to do this. Cool. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. If only, right? If only it worked that way. Oh yeah. I mean, mm. if the thing is like uh, transitioning is one of those things like losing weight or learning a language or stopping baldness. Like, if there was an easy way to do it, like we would have figured that out by now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, lefty YouTubers, you guys are like, you guys are doing God's work over there. It's like, it's like a shithole over on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's God's work, but I think that it's Satan's like... Satan's work. Yeah, it's mm. Satan's work. It's work that needs to be done, I think. Um, and, I mean, we've been, we've both been doing this a while now, so it's... At this point, it doesn't feel new to me anymore. I mean, like, uh, journalists write about left-wing YouTube, which they never did until this year, really, or last year, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, things have really changed since I started. Yeah, it's, it's been fascinating seeing, like, an actual an actual growth. Like, there were left-wing people um, long before us. Like, there was Libertarian mm. Socialist Rants, who's still around, yeah. that even, even put up a video today, which is just reading of the first chapter of The Conquest of Bread, Um those people have always been around, but I think some crystallization happened at some point um, while I wasn't looking, and now now we're real. Like, yeah. So there's like, like I guess a shift in goal from the early days. Like initially, just people like making their own commentary and leftist content. I guess what's different now is the biggest thing that's different is there's a sense of constant sort of, if not quite engagement, at least reaction to right wing YouTube, which as we've discussed widely before, I think, is this really dominant kind of like cultural force on the internet. Yeah, it's really dominant. Sometimes it makes me think, like, how how did this happen? Like, is, is YouTube just, like, set up to attract more right-wingery or what? Like... Some people have suggested that, like I've heard people, there was an article, I I forget, New York Times or something last year that suggested that because YouTube as a medium involves a single person lecturing at the camera, it's sort of inherently authoritarian in some way. Mm. I don't agree with that. Um, I think that, you know, the article compares YouTube to AM talk radio, which traditionally was kind of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, right wing dominated, but NPR was talk radio and that was left wing. So. Mm Is I guess radio still exists, but um, <laughs> you know I, th- I think it has to do with the ease of w- at which anyone can do this content and the lack of far right media being produced elsewhere. I mean, of course, Fox News is in some sense you know far right. Breitbart is far right, mm-hmm. but the really fringe stuff, like where you're just outright raving about feminism and you know white ethno states, which and is things. becoming more and more mainstream, unfortunately. Yes, so th- there's been a kind of um, cross fading between YouTube and you know regular conservative media, where the really fringe ideas from the darkest depths of you know, 4chan, Stormfront, etc., are now just like things that are relatively commonplace political positions, even on, you know, Breitbart. Mm-hmm. Didn't a, a Fox News commentator, like, retweet some Stormfront 
person recently. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, some of that is just that, like, the you know, these mainstream journalists are sometimes very clueless yeah. about, like, how Twitter works, and they don't bother to check who they're retweeting. And, of course, they all share views that are mm-hmm. sort of in the proximity of <laughs> racism. So, you know, there's actually more overlap between mainstream conservatism and, like, f- fringe white nationalism than they like to think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they share each other's talking points. In other words, they just sort of differ on how they respond to specific questions about what their goals are. Right, exactly. Um, so that way, like YouTube really fascinates me, and the growing world of left wing YouTube really fascinates me, and which is why I wanted to ask uh, H Bomb, how did you get started? I think I ended up taking a really um, circuitous route towards being politically active on on youtube.com um like i started out just doing like let's plays and this was back uh, like in the early 2000s when or i guess late 2000s where youtube wasn't even the dominant uh, website for those kinds of videos because they had a, a maximum length of like 10 minutes and they were they were rubbish so like half of my old videos don't exist anymore because they were upon a site like fiddler or blip.tv which have both been like eradicated at this point oh, wow. um so like, and then I just sort of was like, slowly got more interested in making other just weird stuff. So like, if you look early in my channel, it's all just like weird short films or I think there's a video of me setting a, a household bill on fire uh, by putting it on, on a cooker or something. I think that's still up. So like, and then I became more politically active in, in university. I guess everyone, everyone mm-hmm. does. And at some point, like, I think what happened was... Uh, the whole Gamergate thing happened. You know, people, all of a sudden, politics and video games collided in a way that was like, it had been around before, but it hadn't become this, hadn't been that clear cut before. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to make a piece that was me just doing what I was kind of already doing, but more specifically slanted against the far right, like weirdos who were trying to co-opt this thing that was pretending to be about ethics for their own for their own goals you know mm-hmm. please support me on patreon.com slash destroy anita sarkeesian um and it kind of went from there and then i like the video did inexplicably well like i woke up and three hundred thousand people had seen it and i was absolutely wow. shocked and then like th- th- for the time like that was incredible like no one had ever like that was several times more anything i'd ever made and then like a year later, I thought, hang on, I just realized that this is that specific thing, like this weird intersection of games and culture and politics is kind of the place I've been headed my whole life. And a lot of things slotted into place. And before I knew it, that was all I did. <laughs> like, it's it's weird. Like, I came into it more from the video game angle than from the politics. Like, mm. I, I, like, I started out with the belief that YouTube was a place where I'm going to have fun and make friends. And <laughs> somehow it, that stopped being the case. Um, That's so adorable. But because I appro- <laughs> but because I got to approach it from that angle, I think I managed to be a bit more spirited about it. I think a lot of people end up on YouTube very disillusioned with the amount of not fun that they're having. And I'm <laughs> like, like, I've just like, like, uh, Xenia Jones and Cat Black and a lot of like people who who are politically active on YouTube are having a bad time all the time and are very open about that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've like still in the back of my head have this like if I continue to be upbeat, it will fix it, mm. <laughs> and that I think gives me more of a shield 
And so I'm really, I'm kind of lucky that, I'm kind of lucky that video games have corrupted my mind and uh, protect me from the reality of my situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think everyone gets into it because it's fun at first. Like, yeah, yeah, that's how that's how they get you, right? That's how, that's how they get you, and it's like there's something incredibly intoxicating about just getting this massive amount of feedback on your work and sort of meeting all these people and you know it's it is fun like it's amazing and it's in some sense it's still fun it's still amazing otherwise we wouldn't be be here yeah um, yeah but there's also certain grim realities that have set in um for me anyway <laughs> um and a lot of times it's not fun you know i think i think my i'm having the most fun when i'm using premiere to be honest i'm editing videos yeah. and i'm just being creative and just enjoying it um, but you know, Twitter in particular, Twitter is worse than we worse than YouTube. I think Twitter you think has so? just become. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like it's like it's like Pavlovian conditioning. Like if I'm poised <laughs> about to tweet something, I just have this like innate sense of dread. Oh, I know <laughs> the feeling <laughs> because I feel that you know. So I don't. I I I, I avoid t- tweeting contentious things anymore because I have just. <laughs> I, it's, I expect an electric shock or something like. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's that's how they get you. Like the first the first time someone retweets you, there's this hit of dopamine, and oh, you, ne- yeah. you never it's get it again. It's, it's never it never comes back. And you're searching um, for it. You're chasing. it, I feel it, like right? we're describing an extremely unhealthy pattern of behavior here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, right. Yeah. Twitter's also like hard to ignore, right? Because then you're wondering what's going on there. Have right because it's yeah. where the stuff is happening. It sometimes seems right. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a tweet today where it was like, oh, someone said they were away from Twitter for a day and now they don't understand any of the memes and, you know, yeah. things don't make, the hashtags yeah. don't make sense. And Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's like an inherently corruptive medium. You've probably just heard me typing just then. I um, just was Googling the name of the book. Um, One of Us, the story of Anders Breivik is, and there's also a lot of research into like the behaviors, patterns of Elliot Roger. And like mm. the thing that keeps coming up is- You mean it wasn't feminism? Oh no! Unfortunately, feminism isn't to blame for oh. most for most mass murders. Uh, the 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 correlation between a lot of these people is World of Warcraft, uh, not any particular violent oh, video no. game. And it's it has it's because of the effect that that has, and it basically because it's it's essentially a social media platform. It's a way. It's like the engagement allows you to basically distract yourself from whatever's actually happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. when when we see this explosion of violence, we're seeing people who have had the ability to distract themselves from the things that are actually causing them problems until it's far, far too late. Like, no one would ever say, you know, World of Warcraft makes you into a, a serial killer or anything like that. I highly doubt many people actually believe that. But it it exacerbates the human need to not have to deal with things that are happening at present. Like, Twitter eats people up because even if you live on Twitter and it's horrible and people hate you, you're not living in the real world where you have, like, bills to pay or a terrible Mm. job. Like, I've, like, correlate, I've gone back through my social media presence and correlated all the times in my life where something was very, very wrong with it, like someone I knew was dying. Mm. And I had way more arguments with people. Like, Mm -hmm. I needed something... I needed there to be something that was important in the scheme of the internet, but actually way less important than whatever was actually happening in my life. Right. So like and, a an outlet for your... Yeah, yeah. It's it's a particular kind of escape where yeah. like, um, 
Like I have the same thing about, I don't want to ever say anything contentious because all of my, all of my, like, basically my internet friends will be angry, but even when they are, it's like, it's a fun kind of angry because it's angry about something I said on the internet. It's not, you know, no one, nobody died for once. Like there's something. I'm glad you still think that's fun. Like if fun, fun in a very kind of perverse, mm-hmm. not actually fun kind of way. Fun where it's the worst thing that could happen, but it's guarded by the fact that it's not on real. some level, it's just words on the internet. On some level, it's not real. Like that's. Um, yeah. But I mean, it can get real so yeah. fast. Oh, it can get real. Like it's, and, yeah, it's a huge, you know? it's a, it's a trap. It's a trap that doesn't actually work. And again, like a lot of people, like social media is people have caused or come to harm because of social media like there's there's a downside to it but people get to that state because they're pulled it pulls them away from whatever like and you know other problems in their like actual lives outside of it Mm -hmm. yeah at this point to me um twitter and youtube it's it's fun in the way that cocaine is fun at 6 (laughs) a.m after 12 hours of doing cocaine like you're you're really just staving off the crash at this point um, and you don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can literally uh, fill any moment with Twitter. I've I I barely drink and I've never taken any any hard drugs because I have this fear that I will immediately become addicted to them, um, <laughs> based on how I've interacted with the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so social media can also be good for, like, I guess. you know, discussing ideas and debate and things like that, but that also can go very, very wrong. And, you know, that's something that we, we all talked about talking about today was the idea of debating or engaging the other side. You know, how do you, I think you two have different approaches on it. So I'd just like to hear a bit more from both of you about that. So there's two ways that we could go with this. I mean, one is the like, how do you engage with the other side in the content that you produce? Like, so in your videos. So videos are, it's a, it's a speech, right? It's not a debate, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a hypothetical audience, which in my case often includes people who don't agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm working right now on a video about, it's a somewhat obscure topic within, uh, you know, the science of being transgender, but it's a topic aimed at people, like really the, the, all the persuasion in the video is aimed at people who disagree with me, um, some of whom would be called by most of the trans community TERFs and transphobes. So it's, it's a weird, it's like I'm having an imaginary conversation with a transphobe who's forced to listen to me. Um, <laughs> so that's one way to do it. Um, on Twitter, it's completely different because you have the possibility of direct engagement. You can just at people into the conversation. And how, I mean, I was talking to the golden one of all goddamn people yesterday <laughs> because he showed up on my timeline to tweet a shirtless picture of himself at me and to ask why I support killing white people. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, it, was, it was a great tweet. Like, it was a picture of him, you know, valiantly oiled in front of a mountain landscape, holding a flag. And he, how much time like, do you think he spends photoshopping pictures of himself like that? Uh, oh, a lot, a lot. But like, he, the, the, his question was like, if you have such a crush on me, why is it that you support anti-white policies that will lead to my destruction? And like, but anyway, so, so this is not what I was where I was going with this. Um, but. I just can't not talk about him, but the, um, <laughs> you know, you know, so so 
directly talking to people is very different. Um, so there's the Twitter engagement, and then there's this other thing that happens on the internet a lot, which is if you talk about politics in any capacity, you start getting invited to do debates or discussions, mm. either live streams or now that some people know who I am, they invite me to in-person events. Mm-hmm. And and then that, disappear, and then you can't yeah, do it right, Exactly. God damn it. <laughs> Jesus. And God then you it. get... You know, you get into some trouble on Twitter because you yeah. agree to mm-hmm. do these debates with people that others consider problematic, I guess. Is that? Um, well, there are people who, like, I consider problematic often, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the the question is, is it okay to talk to those people at all? In public, anyway, right? Um, yeah. And there's a significant faction online that seems to think it's not. Yeah. What would you would you say H bomb that you think it's not okay to engage with those types of people? Oh, I I'm against talking to anyone, you know, it's it's uh I'm breaking my principles <laughs> even coming on here to be honest. Um no, I, I think that um it it does depend on on the context of it. For example, I I no longer respond on Twitter to people who ask me stupid questions who are like have no followers and clearly like want to have a conversation but aren't fully prepared for someone with a lot of followers responding to them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I've, in the past, I would retweet people who criticized me who I agreed with, who I thought, this is something that I want to draw attention to, like, here's a mistake I've made. And people who are fans of me would go after those people. Like, they would go, they would just, like, they would say very rude things at mm-hmm. them, like, I need you to defend your criticism of h one more. And it's like, I don't want that to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And th- those were people I agreed with. So if if I go in on, as it were, someone who who I disagree with, like that, the objective is to, is to reduce the amount of harm that you cause other people, um, mm-hmm. as much as to avoid, uh, I suppose, the thing most people are against, which is giving people a platform. But the question of platforming is a very difficult one. It's not as simple as, you know, if 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 ContraPoints shares a platform with someone who has way more subscribers than them, all of a sudden they're making them more powerful. It's more the question of who gets to decide where the conversation is is being held. So a lot of the a lot of the big debates that are happening online now are hosted by one person who then sort of controls the ebb and flow of the conversation and controls what the what the middle ground is and who has to like who has to be the person who the other person has to prove themselves to. So when someone has on like uh, Richard Spencer or some other far right person who they're like pals with, and then they have on some leftist, it's like this is a conversation that's going to go a certain way, and I'm not a fan of conversations where someone has already situated themselves as the one who needs to be convinced. Otherwise, like you need to convince me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's a dangerous path to um, submit yourself to because it usually ends on that person surprisingly not being convinced to change their mind about their entire belief system. So you think there's no like I guess performative value for the audience either like I think it I think it does depend like um I think about how I used to relate to internet debates which was I would google you know Matt Dillahunty <laughs> deb- destroys you know creationists on on his <laughs> on his his show you know he ran the show, and of course, I thought he would win his debates. And then the debates I would look up would be people who I already agreed with, and I would want to see them own slash destroy the the opponent. You know, that's that's what 
that's kind of what has made Christopher Hitchens into the popular figure mm-hmm. that he is now, even if his politics didn't even agree with the people who are now holding him up, you know. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're just out of Martin Luther King Day. We've just seen people being like, Martin Luther King would have been a conservative yeah. now, sort of, sort of stuff, you know. F- you know, former Trotsky Christopher Hitchens would have actually been a far-right ideologue if he, if he was mm-hmm. around today. Just bullshit. And so to me, when I, when I think about debates, I think about who I was when I thought debates were important. And who I was was not someone actually interested in that actual conversation or in the truth. So I don't do them because I feel like I wouldn't be actually helping the person who I would be if I was my age then now. Um, but mm-hmm. there are, of course, like actual debates. Like there are ones where people lay their evidence out in advance and you can look it up and it's all about argumentation and there's a proper moderator and there's allotted time. And then it is different. Then there is, the assumption is that the audience can make up their minds and it's not about sick burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of sort of internet debates are very much not that they are how who has the best sound bites who has the best who can gallop through the points the quickest and at that point it isn't a debate it's like an a wrestling match um it's professional wrestling and mm-hmm. you can i can i can do that like i can do either of those things but which of those is a better use of your time which of those is actually helpful to people and um, you know when is it just making your side feel good because you stood up to those people um and i think that As the left grows, we will learn to appreciate that we no longer have to go on the channels of the right-wing people or respond to the things that the right-wing people say that are obviously wrong. Um, Eventually, we're going to hit a point where we can say like, hey, let's talk about the carbon tax. Hey, let's talk about actual problems and solutions to them in a straightforward way without any of but this sort of rubbish. But what about while they are like dehumanizing people just for their identities, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Aside from policy, so like just being, you know, transphobic or anti-Muslim or anti-feminist or misogynist or something like that. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly difficult aspect of it and one that I've never been able to satisfactorily solve is how do you respond to that without simply giving them the kind of response that they want and that they live off of? You know, uh, Chris Reagan loves to be told that he's racist uh, on the internet, you know, his his living is telling those people off for calling him racist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, should we play into that? Should we mm-hmm. do it anyway? Is it is it is it helpful to do that anyway? And that's a, that's a question I've never been able to answer easily. Um, and I like it's this isn't like the case of where like I think Contra's wrong for for doing debates. It's more that I think that it takes a variety of approaches. And I think we all need to apply the time that we have in a way we think is the most helpful. And I've never, I don't know if I have anything I could add to a debate where I could like deconvert anyone. I, I have to exert as much control as possible over my own content for it to have a cohesive message. I don't know how well I would do in, in a public space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sense. definitely you have to ha- be a certain kind of person to engage in debates with these people who aren't good faith actors to begin with. And, I mean, I do think that Contra has managed to reach a lot of centrist-type people, which is great. But I'll let you, I'll let you speak to more of what H-Bomb just said, Contra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll say, first of all, that 
to, to me, the, the point of doing a debate is really not that I'm like, this is the time I'm going to convert the audience. Certainly, I'm not going to be converting anyone on stage. That's not at all the point. Um, for me, it, I mean, it depends what kind of debate it is because there's a wide, you know, I, I've done debates with people ranging from people who are also on the left um, to people who are very far right. And it's interesting because there's this kind of, there's this, uh, some of the people who criticize me a lot you, there's this message you hear from them that, oh, Contra only talks to the far right. Like, if she's, you know, why doesn't she ever talk to leftists? She doesn't, you know, but, but like, so go look at my live stream channel. Go look at the people I've yeah. decided to host on my platform. Mm. I've not hosted anyone so far right as centrism. It's only people who are progressives, are the only people I personally platform, but I go onto other platforms oops, and I represent myself and my own views. And that, you know, so there's a few things that I, I feel that I get out of this. One is that I feel that, you know, if you look at YouTube, you see that a lot of, um, in particular, kind of like women or queer creators are just the recipients of this just obsessive voyeuristic intrusion into their lives where they're kind of taken by these response channels, upheld as freaks and uh, then just kind of dumped upon by the mob. And like... I'm I've, I'm always just aware of that happening, and since the beginning of my time on YouTube, I was aware of the fact that this was probably people were probably going to attempt to do this to me. And so, my YouTube career from 2016 on is is really is often me kind of doing this like evasive jumping around, like trying to f- fend that off. Um, and one of the ways you do that is that you show these people that you're not afraid of them. Mm-hmm. So. When Sar- you know, it's not that I think I'm going to have a productive conversation with Sargon of a cat. Of course, I'm not going to, you know. But when he invites me to come on his little podcast or whatever, I say, okay, fine. And then I show up and I look into the camera and I show that actually I'm not afraid of Sargon and his ideas. I don't think that he's especially uh, competent or terrifying, um, you know. And even if I don't like win the debate, like I showed up, I showed my face, you know, I showed that like these people don't intimidate me, um, which I think is sort of personally helpful to me in terms of sort of maintaining the space around me on the internet. Um, so that's one reason. It has nothing to do with persuasion. Another reason is that it actually it actually is sort of good advertising. Um, right-wing internet has a huge audience. Not all of that audience, as you might think, are, uh, you know, just incorrigible Nazis. Like, I've, of course not. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've gotten just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages over the last couple of years from people saying that, like, you know, my videos played some role in helping them to move to a different political position than the one they previously held. And that, to me, is very encouraging. Um, you know, and people say, well, it's usually not the debates that convince people. No, but when I, you know, it's astonishing how many people who are following me, following me now who tell me that they found me through this debate I did with Blair White a year hmm. ago. Um, and the Blair White debate is widely considered to be a, just a terrible performance on my part. I didn't know what I was doing yet. I was, I was very new at this. I was kind of awkward. I was wearing this weird pink wig. I wasn't looking at the camera. Like, there's all the kinds of things that were wrong with it. But somehow people found my channel through this. They liked my videos and then they stayed. Um, so, you know, while it's hard to imagine what, 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 what could anyone who watches Blair White like about me, well, the grim reality of the situation is that there's a lot of people for whom Blair is the only trans content creator they follow or know. Oh, and, dear. Yeah. And she provides what, to a lot of people, is a very accessible introduction to it because 
again, she's fanning their prejudices Mm -hmm. and she's not asking anything from them, right? Um, So they started thinking about trans issues through Blair. They kind of like Blair, but being on Blair's channel, people always say that, oh, you're legitimizing these people by doing debates with them. Um, You know, and and increasingly that's more of a risk as I have, because I didn't used to have any legitimacy myself, so there was nothing to lose. But uh, I think that... What's, what's not being considered is that Blair is in some sense legitimizing me by yeah. having me on the channel and by debating me. She's sort of implicitly suggesting that I am a person whose opinions are at least serious enough to warrant debating. And then that causes the audience to wonder what I, who I am. Mm-hmm. And then they go check me out. And, you know, s- several hundred of those people from the Blair White d- debate have since become regular viewers of mine. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I guess some people might paint this as really mercantile and like just, you know, business decision to gain more audience. Um, and I guess, you know, I'm not going to deny that that has anything to do with it, but my YouTube channel is not just a business. I do, I do actually care about all this stuff. You need to, and, you need to get eyes on your work and that's a definitely Yeah, exactly. A and and this it. is a way of, especially since my work, I think of it anyway, is aimed at precisely at persuading people who are persuadable. Like, where do you recruit the, the persuadable people just to get their ears? One Plus, way to do it is to do these debates. You're not mm. going on to, like, just agree and nod along, you know? That's the real problem, I find, when, you know, people go on Dave Rubin's show or, you know, people that I've respected go on Dave Rubin's show. And Dave Rubin is sort of this venue for like um far right sanitizing then then i feel like you know he shouldn't be legitimized but you're actually challenging those people that you go on you know i i didn't watch the sargon debate but i imagine that you didn't just go to have a friendly chat and talk about yeah, we, how bad we squabbled, the left. we squabbled for an hour you know okay. <laughs> i mean it, it not and again like i understand when people say these conversations are not productive they generally are not you know and, and many times you're arguing with someone who's disingenuous who is not open to changing their mind in the first place because they are sort of they don't care they're they, for them it maybe is a completely a business decision um for for them you know for for Carl the the success there was having you on so he could dunk on you for a requisite amount of time and thereby satisfy his fan base. You know, for him, mm. you know, what progress was there, you know, is he's not going to deconvert anyone who understands how his platform works. Yeah, of, of course not. But, and then, so for me, the, the, the main objective is simply not to be a person who's just dunked on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're not. Yeah, so I mean, with someone like Ruben, like... Although I'm officially not, I'm officially turning down all debates at the moment. Like, I've, I've it's been kind of a joke on my channel for a year that I want to go on Ruben. Oh, you um, will not be debate if you get invited. He's not. He's not going to debate you. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. He's not able uh, to debate. Right. I don't think. But so. I don't know. No, I feel like how, many people, Yeah, that's not how these platforms you know, work. Is they they step over sort of genuine invitations to have a real conversation and real criticism to point at. Oh, look at. Look at these people who've just called me racist for no reason. Like they'll they'll specifically yeah, single the, out a, the criticism that they yeah. can complain about. If, yeah, and they'll constantly bring it up. Um, if Ruben were to have you I, on, it would be to talk about how you got dogpiled by the left for you know ah, agreeing to this debate. Yeah. That's all he would do. Yes. So that well, I haven't had a chance yet to review or upload the Vancouver discussion that I just did. Um, this last weekend, mm-hmm. but 
I spent a lot of time there talking about this exact thing. Um, you know, so I was ta- talking to Theron, and the first topic of conversation she wanted to bring up is, okay, let's talk about the his the history of this event that we're hosting now. And you know, so this is the Free Speech Club, which is kind of a right leaning uh, student organization. Um, and obviously, their central talking point is this thing about free speech. Um, so they're obsessed with this idea of the left as these like as this mob of people who just want to silence, who want to shut down discussion, who want to shut down debate, who just want to deplatform everyone, call them racist. Um, and you know, so they're very interested in me because what happened to me seems to confirm their going mm-hmm. theory about what the left is like. Um, so I spent a long time at this event talking about one. The the extent to which that is, there's some truth in that, but also the frustration I have that everyone only wants to talk about this. Um, so, you know, in the aftermath of the, the, this this Twitter meltdown that happened, so after can you just I, explain for the audience what yes, what happened? Of course. Um, so basically, I agreed to do this debate, or it was not even debate, a discussion at the University of British Columbia with Blair White and Theron Meyer, two um, other trans YouTubers, Blair White being very right-leaning, Theron being kind of a centrist. And the host student organization was a student group called, a controversial student group called the uh, UBC Free Speech Club. And basically they had a Facebook group where someone had screenshotted a year ago someone posting like Holocaust denial comments. Mm. So... But basically what happened is a lot of people, and initially I thought it was my own audience turning against me, I've since revised that interpretation because I think actually most of the organizing against me was done by a very small group of people who were committed to bringing me down and did that by spreading as much negative information about me as possible and recruiting as much other people into this campaign as possible. Um because I noticed that it didn't really affect my Patreon very much, and my core fans seem not to have cared or noticed particularly. So what happened basically is I got a massive amount of blowback on Twitter with people accusing me of platforming fascists, of the, the, of, because this was initially a ticketed event um, that was raising money f- uh, for the group to invite more speakers. You know, which I thought there was some legitimate criticism of, to be clear. Like, that mm-hmm, is a thing mm-hmm. that I, I, I think warrants being cautious about and something that I'll definitely be hesitant about in the future. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, these exagger- these accusations were wildly exaggerated. So this one um, Facebook post from February was used to suggest that actually what this was is, is an anti-Semitic, fascist, neo-Nazi, Holocaust denial organization. Um, and so then the story became that I was essentially participating in a fundraiser for a fascist group. Oh, wow. And then this story was widely circulated on Twitter, and my life was just ruined for a couple weeks. <laughs> um, but, you know, it turns out that this this group, the Free Speech Club, while they have hosted, you know, people like Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, I, I forget which one, which of those guys they hosted, one of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, they... They've banned or, or exiled effectively mo- most of the members of their Facebook group who post the alt-right stuff. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea that it's an alt-right organization is not really correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's frustrating you know, in these cases is once people decide that you're bad, they will find the worst possible thing about what you're doing, exaggerate it, and then push this idea that that mm-hmm. is who you are. You're mm-hmm. the person who did this exaggerated, 
half true thing. Um, but you know the, what? What I take issue with is this idea that it's only leftists that do this. Oh, of course, it's not only leftists that do it. Yeah, because that's really the talking point that everyone loves so much, right? Even the centrists love exactly. it. Even the right wingers love it. And to some exactly. extent, even leftists will buy into it, right? Well, mm-hmm. oh, we shouldn't do that. Like in trying to be fair or self-critical, like oh yeah, you know, we do this too much. Or I, I, I mean, I get piled on by like centrists all the time centrist sjws or you know yeah it's everyone can do it so i mean this is exactly the frustration right is that there's this widespread obsession with leftists doing this and i spend a lot of if once the vancouver talk is up on my live stream channel go watch it and i i I spend a lot of time talking about this exact frustration because Mm. in the aftermath of this these shitty two weeks I got more attention from mainstream journalism than I've ever gotten. Um, there was an article written in a Seattle newspaper about about the Twitter controversy. You know, I was getting messages from all kinds of like high level political commentators expressing solidarity and things like because every you know this is a story that so many people want to tell, including like you said, centrists and leftists and journalists in particular mm-hmm. love this. Crazy SJW activists suppress free speech story or, or you know dogpiling story. I think part of it is because so many people in journalism and academia have themselves been the sort of recipients of this. Mm-hmm. That there's this kind of universal sense of solidarity that crazy leftist activists on the internet behave terribly, and we've all sort of been the the victims of this. Um, but the story unfortunately passes over the fact that one, it's not just the left that does this by any means. Watch the way right. Ring Twitter behaves, and you'll see that the purity tests, oh, the yeah. blowback, the accusations of treason and cuckoldry are just as rampant. Oh um, yeah, um, there was. I mean, Crouton T was recently like utterly unpersoned. Exactly. Um, yeah, like the channel doesn't even exist anymore. They're Who basically, was sorry? Um, guy called Crouton T and uh, Anti- oh yeah yeah Islam yeah okay. YouTube guy. Um, my one um, my one interaction with him was uh, when I made fun of the Golden One late in 2016, and he tried to copyright claim. The video about him, Kraut reached out to him and was like, "You're making us. You're making it obvious when you, you know, when you deliberately censor people like this. You've, you've got to, you've got to be less obvious." And the gold one was like, oh, "I get it." So, like, my one interaction with him is him trying to teach other racist people to be less obvious about <laughs> being dogmatically trying to get rid of dissenting opinions to not um, show their power level. Yeah, like don't don't reveal that this is what our goal is, please. Um, but like, this is like the, the thing that really struck a chord with me was when you talk about how the beginning of the discussion was a discussion about how, why, how the discussion was happening and the history Mm -hmm. of the discussion. And that's the kind of hole that I try to avoid falling into is sort of conversations about, about the idea of conversations. Um, which is effectively what we're doing right now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, But definitely. Yeah. But we've, uh, but it's okay when we do it. Uh, um, ah. is when you um like if you pay attention to uh the kind of discourse surrounding folks like jordan peterson what you end up with is pseudo inspiring sounding sound bites about the idea of having ideas um mm-hmm. you basically get someone saying ideas are good but you know in a, in, in the cursive font of discourse Oh, it's such garbage. Peterson, I am especially upset about because I feel like he's really contributing to making the political landscape toxic here in Canada. 
that is the thing that I, I think was most aware of when I started doing what I was doing was people who didn't have, um, didn't have a leg to stand on in terms of explaining why they believe what they believe or proving it, uh, would immediately go towards the free speech argument. They'd immediately reach for, well, it's my right to have this opinion. Um, instead of, here's why I think this, here's the proof. Um, the, the key, the key figure sort of in, in, in good old fashioned British racism is, um, Nick Griffin, who revolutionized, uh, the British Nazi party by court, by changing it to just the BNP. And mm. we're not about the, the racial stuff anymore. We're about we're just being allowed to have a conversation. Do you know you're not even allowed to deny the Holocaust in Germany? That's not free, is it? It's, it's that sort it's of genius. It's actually a genius yeah. rhetorical move. Oh, it's, it is, yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's and, incredible. And that's the, the the way that they that they get those ideas in is they they turn it into a conversation that's stepped like it's got enough of a cynical distance from the idea itself that they no longer have to even. They no longer have to even be racist to support a racist agenda. They can now forward it slowly and carefully. And it's Oh yeah, they have their like, you know, um sanitized versions of saying everything, right? It's about culture now. It's not about race. Yeah, but when you talk when you see the cultures and the way that they talk about certain cultures, it's very much still about race. Yeah. So I I I I'm no longer and you see that all like there are so many kind of low-level, like a few hundred views, YouTube debates between centrists and right-leaning people that are just about this, just about the the idea of having ideas. And it gets so incredibly boring that after a certain point, it's like, I want to see someone just to, like talk about infrastructure. I want people to just talk about something in a concrete way where I can see the pros and the cons and understand the arguments because I, I, I'm past the part where people explaining the idea of having an argument is is interesting to me and you see that with yeah. when, when people tr- when people list off the logical fallacies and like mm-hmm. it's become this basically this sort of this sort of pretentious shouting match about who who understands how to argue better as opposed to whose argument is better and that's a hole that I know I'd fall into if I had debates. I would immediately start going, ah, oh, that's the two quoque fallacy. Look how clever I am. I know this <laughs> Latin word. And it's very hard to get out of that hole once you fall into it. And I am now at a point where I'm old enough to know what a corporate tax is and why it's bad that it's, it's only like 19% in my country. And I need to talk about that to people who will listen. Um, because that like is a thing that you can tangibly change that and it, and it'll, it'll be fixed. Like, I I can no longer like fathom the diff. Like, even if it will even make a difference to, um, to have certain kinds of conversation anymore. Um, but it's still very maybe that's, relevant. Maybe, that's, maybe I'm a, I've I've become a cynic in the last year. But no, I think that's an extremely accurate diagnosis of not just the problem with right wing discourse, but like of discourse in 2018. Mm. Period. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, thank you. I was so I, worried. I, mean, I was so worried. I was just ranting. <laughs> thank you. No, no, no. I think that's exactly right. Is that there's this general problem, and that less is very little is said about substance, about whether ideas are true or not. And very much is said about our right to have the ideas, how we express the ideas, how we respond to people who have ideas. Um, so Peterson is exactly that. I mean, this is a person who is famous, who has a giant platform as a result of his being, quote unquote, silenced. And, <laughs> um, you know, he's not the Silence only figure like this. Silence with the There's, largest th- platforms. Right. Yeah. There are many, many intellectual celebrities of our time who are who got famous primarily because they got 
they were they were censored or so called right by SJWs, um, and it's especially frustrating when you have you know marginalized group A shuts down pr- Professor B, um, resulting in Professor B's growing fame and influence, and no real uh, goal you know thing achieved for the marginalized group. So I'm working on this video now. It's about for anyone watching who cares about this um, Blanchard's typology of transgender women, which is a kind of bad science uh, of trans people that sort of says that they're uh, fetishists uh, or that they have, you know, Hmm. that it's a purely sexual phenomenon, that it's not truly related to gender identity. Um, And this is a massive ongoing academic controversy because in 2003, a psychologist called um, J. Michael Bailey published a book called The Man Who Would Be Queen, which is... A, a, an awful book about trans people that's based mostly on Bailey's a few case studies of trans women he met in a gay bar in Chicago and radically misrepresents what it is to be trans. Um, but most of the discussion about this book has been about the way that activists went after Bailey, um, sort of attacking him personally, mm. trying to mess, um, defame his character. So, you know, some of these accusations appear to be true. Some appear not to be. Um, but basically, you know, Alice Drager, a bioethicist, wrote this book called Galileo's Middle Finger, which has been endorsed by Jesse Single, which is the reason that a lot of people think I'm a turf because I talked to Jesse Single. It's a whole long story. Oh, but gosh. basically, That's yeah, very it's, complicated. It's, it's very complicated. There's so many people involved. It's all, it's almost impossible to explain. But like, and that's, an, that's also a frustration for me that I, I can't explain this. Mm. But basically, the core of the issue is this theory, um, uh, well, let's, let's call it autogynephilia, the theory that trans women are in love with the idea of themselves as women. They're men who have this like sexual fetish for seeing themselves as women, essentially, is what the theory says. Um, that's a bad and a wrong theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the discussion of it has to do with whether or not the scientists who proposed it are terrible people or not, whether the activists used silence tactics or not. Mm. Um, and Drager's book, which you know was endorsed by Steven Pinker, um, I think she may have written she may have written it or part of it with with a Guggenheim fellowship, like this is like big stuff in academia and journalism. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, she's so sympathetic to Bailey um, and she presents him as like what she calls like this Galilean personality, this type uh. that she upholds of this like politically correct bad boy who like goes around seeking truth wherever it shall lead, you know, never mind what political correctness says. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Galileo was that, that this- he was right. <laughs> Yeah, what? right. Well, that's the hell. Right, right. Exactly. No one bothers to stop and check if he's correct or not. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're now upholding this guy as a hero because he valiantly misrepresented trans people in spite of opposition. Well, same with Charles Murray, right? Like yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's so frustrating. And then this Pinker thing. I don't know if you followed it on Twitter recently, but that's been another recent source of my frustration is that the entire discussion turned into whether this one particular person who posted it that all the centrists and, you know, a a lot of people hate because he's posted misrepresenting clips of Sam Harris before, which is irrelevant to this conversation about Steven Pinker. But they think that he clipped it in a certain way to be dishonest and say that Pinker is all alt-right or something. He actually just saw it on an alt-right account and he grabbed it from there because he didn't want to retweet an alt-right account. Um, and now it's become this whole thing about did the, you know, the SJW posted it to misrepresent Pinker uh, as, as alt-right and 
because of that, the alt-right lashed onto it, and now they have some legitimacy because of Pinker, and now they're quoting Pinker saying that, you know, they're intelligent. However, it's the other way around. The alt-right had already latched onto those words, even though, yes, they are, uh, you know, out of context. It's not that he ends there. It's a clip of Steven Pinker basically saying, you know, uh, there's some highly intelligent people that joined the alt-right, and then he goes on to say some other garbage, uh, like... Uh, because they don't, you know, there's certain truths that they only hear for the first time uh, in those sources or something like that, that that the mainstream media and campuses are not discussing truths like, you know, differences in gender or, you know, racial crime statistics. And no one's talking about how what the hell he's saying is so ridiculous, you know? It's yeah, so this is, it's discussion. never it's never like no one will ever sit down and say, okay, here's here's my thoughts on here's my thoughts on 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 race crime. You know, here's here's how I think this should be. Here's my arguments for the ethno state. No one ever sits down and outlines that. They go, here are all the people trying to stop me from telling you the argument, which I'm not going to tell you now, by the way, because that would make it obvious how how off my rocker I am. Um, you know, but shouldn't I be allowed to say it? Like it's and that's insidious because it even if they lose the debate they want people to be talking about it they want people to have to you know defend whether or not the holocaust happened for example they want that to be back on the table and it's Um, so subjective right even if you can see that they lost the debate their fans will be like oh you know he crushed you or whatever it's like no but that's how they see it yeah, like if um, there's there's a debate that I refer to as the Winters debate, where Carl um, mm. debated Christy Winters on on feminism, and quite famously imploded. Like it was hilarious; everyone had a great time. But the comments are full of uh, basically, yeah, Carl lost, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. He just didn't. So, like, even if you lose, and this is you know you've mm-hmm. uh, Contras sort of witnessed this from the side, you know, from the other side, where even when you lose. You only, you only lose. You're not actually proven wrong. Like there's this, it puts thing, it puts certain conversations back on the table that I think we as a civilized society should quote, end quote, dogmatically reject talking about. Like, like I the Jewish question. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to have to explain why the Holocaust happened to anyone. I, if anyone asks me to prove it, I, I deserve, I want the right to view that person as an idiot. And to yeah, not absolutely. have, you know, um, what, who was there? There was someone who was accused of, some president, I think, was accused of being a Holocaust denier. I might be messing up this anecdote. And they said, what's the effect of whenever someone at my dinner table denies the Holocaust, I engage them in a spirited debate. And my thought was, who, who are you having to dinner at the White House <laughs> who's denying? Like, that's, that's the scary thing is, I think that's what makes me perhaps more unreasonably um, against debates than I uh, than I should be is I I fear the putting back on the table of conversations that should be gone forever like no this thing's wrong stop like um I know that's on a certain level you know like the kind of anti free speech thing that that us SJWs are you know that, that typifies us but isn't it good that we don't have to stop and explain that like that like rape is bad like isn't that but yeah. say it's already become popular right to to, yeah. to discuss these things then i i feel like we're losing 
Hmm. the battle by just, you know, not participating in. So yeah, I think yeah. I, I land somewhere in between you and Contra on this, and which is why I was interested in speaking to both of you. Hmm. So I think that it's important to to debate these ideas because there are people that are debating them anyway, and we might as well represent ourselves or rather would, than have... Sorry, go sorry, on. I would go on further than, than being between me and Contra. I would say uh, both, um, I think... Who knows which approach is better? And yeah. it, I'm really glad that we have both. I'm glad that someone's try, you know, someone really believes the opposite tactic will work. Um, because if that one, you know, because if I'm proven wrong about it, then I'm proven wrong because it worked. And mm-hmm. I'm happy with that too. It's just the case of like, um, to a certain extent, like when you make a, when you make a video, when you put forward something onto the internet, you're not just putting forward your opinion on an issue. You're putting forward a perspective on what, on how to even look at the issue. You're putting forward a set of values. So like when I put up a video and like someone says something ridiculous and I kind of dismiss it and then move on to something else, like to a certain extent, I'm also, I'm not just making fun of someone. I'm putting forward the idea that this thing isn't worth thinking about. And that can be a very powerful thing. Like a lot of people don't want to have to think about some things because the, because again, because it, it normalizes having to then talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I'm, I feel like I do quite well, but for some people actually talking about that thing might be important. And it takes a lot, it takes a lot to make a stew. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> too many cocks. <laughs> so I, I, I actually don't even disagree with what you're saying. Um, I just think that I have sort of a different take on it. Cause on the one hand, the I completely agree that there are certain debates that op- reopening them is just not at all helpful. So this is my one of my main frustrations with kind of centrist YouTube, right? And many of the political kind of talk shows that do these debates is they reopen questions as if these are important topics of discussion when we have, they have no business being important topics of discussion. I forget it was a British um, morning news show that a couple months ago hosted a scientist to come on and talk about the benefits of uh, conversion therapy for gay teenagers. Oh, and the debate was supposed to be about, is this therapy actually bad? Like this is a clo- this is a closed debate. This is not a conversation that needs to be had again. Um, we know the answer already. And to reopen it is just harmful, needlessly. Um, so I get incredibly frustrated when centrists host these kinds of debates because I, th- I feel that they, you know, they give a voice to people who mm-hmm. we, you know, are just not, you know, it's, it's like scientists bringing creationists to talk about creationism on the university, right? Like it just muddies the waters. It doesn't help anything. It, it makes things worse. So I, I totally agree. However, yeah. Yeah. I think that nonetheless, you know, there is a situation where a lot of people, maybe they do show up to your, to your dinner table or not, but there's a lot of people who do deny the Holocaust. What do we do about them? Um, in it, because I think that for those people, the fact that we shut down every debate about it appears, of course, as a conspiracy to hide the truth. I, I agree, and absolutely. Yeah. It's <laughs> often presented in precisely that way. So I, this, this is, the, this is the, what I think the common thread between so many of these conversations, whether it's... Um, the conversation about Holocaust denial or about um, race and IQ or mm. about, you know, the autogynephilia theory of trans women or about um, just any of these things, right? The prelude to the people who want to talk about these things, the prelude and sometimes just the substance of the discussion is always 
the politically correct, you know, f- authorities have have suppressed any discussion of this topic. You can't even talk. You can't even mention it without people calling you racist or a bigot. Um, isn't that so unfair? And then to, to a lot of people, I think that seems plausible. They're like, oh yeah, like why is this Orwellian system of suppression keeping us from talking about these things? You know, if the Holocaust really happened, why is it so offensive to ask about it? Um, exactly. Yeah, and that's, yeah. You know, it's, it's it's hard because at once I do sympathize very much with the people who like, I get why if you're Jewish, like you don't want to have this conversation mm-hmm. about whether the Holocaust happened. But on the other hand, like to people who are sort of, they are themselves not at all familiar with the evidence in either direction. They're sort of ignorant of the discussion. Like the fact that they seem not to be able to even ask for the evidence seems suspicious and it seems um, suppressed, like it's... Uh, Repressive and like they're being censored, or like something is being covered or silenced or or hidden. So yeah. this is something. I mean, it's something I'm worried about with this next video I'm doing, the the one about autogynephilia, because I, I think some trans people might be mad at me for even talking about it. Be, and and because what I'm doing is I'm I'm. Sh- they're making a video about why this theory is false. I don't care whether the scientists who came up with it are evil or not. I just want to talk about the theory. Um, some people may feel that by doing that. I'm suggesting that this is a legitimate idea mm. or a legitimate theory and hence giving credibility to this highly, you know, toxic and dangerous thing. Um, but my, for the way I'm looking at it, that's a risk I think is worth taking because there's so many journalists and academics, you know, people with real influence in this conversation who seem to have gone from the observation that no one seems to be allowed to talk about this to the conclusion that the theory must be correct. That's why it's making people so mad. Yeah, that, that's. I think when it comes down to it, like the the folk, the, like the folks who might be mad at you are people who already sort of have their mind made up on the issue and mm-hmm. even might be correct about it and probably are. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. People who but are people, right about it. Yeah. People have people always have different ideas about what is more convincing to other people. Like we, everyone has dip, like. Um, let's say like there are two main ways, uh, two different like groups of people and those people are convinced of ideas in different ways like some people are convinced by being shown in a kind of semi-sarcastic way that something isn't worth thinking about like oh yeah this is really weird why why would you even approach it like this and some people need to be shown um why the thing is wrong in, in you know they need to have that they need to have had the conversation about why the holocaust happened you know so i i have about it's about a 50 50 split um on like people like in responses to my cultural Marxism video, for example, um, half the people on it like uh, who who were like people who've commented words to the effect of you know I was deconverted by your videos are people who needed someone to chime in and go you know this this sounds really stupid this is, sounds ridiculous right like this yeah. is but th- about as many people are like but why didn't he actually talk about the Frankfurt School and, and what, you know, and what they actually believed? And why didn't he go into how um, Hitler's cab driver was Jewish? Why didn't he respond to the actual points? And I'm, you know, thank God, who doesn't exist, um, <laughs> that there, is a, there are as many people as me going the other way and saying that stuff as well. You know, I'm glad, you know, there needs to be both because those, because people are convinced in both of those ways. And it's a lot harder, like, when you already agree with someone on the issue, um, you still bring the way you think people are convinced to the table. And that's, I think, how a lot of leftist infighting, um, that's the seed of where it starts, is people are different, people are convinced in different ways and have different ideas, yeah. therefore, about how to convince people. And 
where we get shafted is we uh, we allow that to be construed as as infighting, whereas you know when it's uh, when it's the right doing it, it's well you know just one of them's a cuck, you know. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, think there should be a variety oh, of tactics, right? Like it's mm. not just one thing or the other. You just chip away at this garbage with every tactic that you've got. That's my feeling. Yeah, I'm not in any way trying to malign H bomb's approach. I, I, it's it's oh, not same, that I think same, that it's yeah. not persuasive. Um, like I do. Oh come think, on, guys! Where's like, the fun in that? Yeah, yeah. You and, guys and have pe- to like disagree and get angry and yell at each other. <laughs> That's and the thing. Like, it's, I have. I can't. Um, I can't argue with uh, with counterpoints on the internet anymore because uh, people like will 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 chime in with, "Oh no, are they are they fighting?" And it's yeah, it's, it's very so hard difficult. to have conversations. It's very difficult Twitter. to have a polite disagreement on the internet at the best of yeah. times, especially when everyone watching is like, "Oh, they're going to fight because that's what they do," and <laughs> like that pushes it further towards that being the case. Um, and because everyone have so wants much it to emotional be investment yeah. at this point, like that's that's a, I don't know if you find this. But for to me, it's scary how it's sometimes scary how emotionally invested people are in what I do or who I am. Like, I think there's a lot of people. Like, if we if we had an actual fight and falling out, me and H bomb, like, there's people who would be deeply upset. Yeah, um, and it's like it's just it's 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 hard because people form you know when you're a content creator, this person that people are sort of fans of. They form this idea because, of course, they don't know you, but they form this idea of you in their head based mm-hmm. on your public persona. And if you do something that violates that persona or that goes against their sort of head canon of who you, the kind of person you're supposed to be, they feel sort of betrayed by it because they're watching you on a screen. They're, you know, they're they feel like they know you really intimately, especially yeah. you, Contra, because you've been, you know, so open. Yeah, I've particularly ca- caused this problem for myself. Private by and personal being, stuff. Yeah, very intimate online. I always hesitate to speak about something too personal because I just, I don't know, I feel naked and vulnerable. Even though my face isn't out there, I still feel too naked talking about something deeply personal. So I think you're very brave for doing that, but it does sort of set you up for people being attached in that sort of way, maybe. Yeah, I'm I mean, reminded and, and of, the, th- of the political alignment charts with all of our faces on them, or the, you know, the the, the Rationals banner that so many people have with, like, Thunderfoot and Carl on it. Like, <laughs> when those two fell out, what, like, when, when the arguments between those people happen, like, people are upset because that's the edifice of of their, like, five people who they look up to that's, that's crumbled. <laughs> and, like, that's, that's, like, people fight and fall out uh, in... And that's something that's very, very hard to deal with. Like we're living in a reality where people can like friendships can fall apart and there's a paper trail. Yeah, like it's not it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But if you if you needed those people to like you know, if they were like indicative of your personality or, or of your worldview in some major way, then that can be a huge, huge shift. I mean, also the fact is that behind our Twitter accounts, like there's just real human beings, yeah. and yeah. like increasingly, I'm sort of aware of the fact that like I have real relationships with many of these people, including friendships and like feelings about them and stuff, and like that kind of stuff can go good or bad for reasons utterly irrelevant to positions about politics expressed on the internet. Yeah. Um, and so there's this kind of complicated dynamic where there's a you know p- people watch your. St- 
Twitter activity like it's sort of political reality TV, but there's also this deeply human side to it, mo- most of which is sort of underwater. It's sort of happening in DMs and behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, mm-hmm. s- sometimes this gets real ugly. Like, the, I think about the Lacey Green, like a Chris Ray gone affair. Like, oh God, like, can you See, imagine yeah. the, the, kind- the kind of like... I'm not even sure if it's an argument. I think it's just people, different people giving up on it. But there's a podcast called the Drunken Peasants podcast, which is uh-huh. um, the Amazing Atheists uh, podcast with like a bunch of his friends. And that has been slowly falling apart, basically. And I've been reading the Reddit and having a really great time watching people uh, like their lives are falling apart because the people who they listen to and form all the ways that they like look at and think about so many issues that are important to them, those people are like them separating is like the destruction of like the the foundation of of how you think about everything it's like it's like what this is a weird comparison to make because they're all atheists but it's like watching someone read the bible for the first time and they just got to the bit where jesus died like it's it's like something (laughs) fundamental is gone and that's like a shocking thing to, to it's not even that weird because there's a lot of like i love jesus christianity atheists now it's very strange what's happening it is yeah i mean some would argue that uh only atheists are the true christians in that they accept that god is dead but um <laughs> that's that's the kind of nietzschean approach that i i promised myself i wouldn't rant about on the internet and make myself look like an idiot <laughs> I'm currently having a massive argument with a bunch of anonymous people on Curious Cat, uh, whereas I argue that um, that Zack Snyder is a good filmmaker, and that might be the worst argument I've ever had on the internet. Um, Don't hate on anonymous y- people. Mm. You're truly the next Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> B- basically, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's fair to say. Yeah, it's so. Why? How do you feel? Like, do you feel that you wield a lot of responsibility? Like, I mean, so okay. We just talked. You just talked about how the drunken peasants yeah. collapse is like a de- devastating mm. uh, world blow, uh, worldview shaking event for many people. Like, may we like to think that our fans are widely read and that they get their information from a wide variety of sources and, oh, and yeah, so we, on. We can't fight for the sake of the children. Um, but like <laughs> the reality is, I think there's probably a, like a number of people now who probably get most of their political world, worldview from H Bomber Guy, Contrapoints, Sean and Jen, and a handful of others. Well, it yeah, I think the it's it it kind of goes in both directions. Where like if if me and Sean or if the three of us had a big falling out and never spoke again, that would probably be be troubling for a lot of people. It would make people question their politics that even people who broadly agreed couldn't say friends. But for the other half of the people, that would be a, like a very important moment where you re- you recognize that people fight and that that's okay. Like that's ultimately not the biggest, most important thing in the world. And like um, a lot of people, like you see this a lot in like parental psychology where like half the kids who are from uh, children of divorces, half of them are not messed up by it, but like they have a response to it and it affects how they view relationships forever. And they kind of can become very codependent. But the other half is they accept that their parents were human beings um, who have their own needs and, and flaws. And that can be a very healthy thing. So I think mm-hmm. like if, if we ever had a major falling out, it would be bad for a lot of people, but maybe in a way good for some people in a kind of perverse way. Mm. An educational experience. And, yeah, an educational <laughs> experience in, in how in how horrible fights can be. But well, it also yeah. deepens your understanding of how human the people on screen are, right? Like for me, in my experience, people get very 
pissy with me not agreeing with other ex-Muslims and it frustrates me because I'll get all these comments like, oh, you're supposed to be on the same side. And, and it's like, you, you know, you really don't understand at all, do you? If you think just because we've all rejected one particular religion hmm. that we're supposed to be on the same side. And There's only one particular way to be an ex-Muslim. Yeah, you know, whereas someone who's going on rebel media calling for, you know, the eradication of Islam or whatever is the same as me, who's like trying to, you know, talk about diverse representation and feminism and things like that. And it's it's very shallow to think that, you know, ex-Muslims are all one group and, yeah. you know, maybe anti-SJW YouTube is all one group. And yeah, I there's guess a, people are... There's generally a specific way of... Every group has a specific way of formulating all of the ideas. And when people like publicly disagree on a platform, but but they're supposed to be similar, there's this schism on a deeper level than it seems where people are, it's also a discussion of how to, how to feel about a given issue. I think that's one reason why I guess I'm so mad when I see people reappropriate, like for example, Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, like they've, they've said things that are offensive or or mm-hmm. or outright wrong or somewhat argue sexist like quite deeply for both of them but definitely you see this need to basically go oh christopher hitchens is an anti-sjw or richard dawkins or george orwell if he was around today would be anti-sjw it's this <laughs> yeah. need to absorb pre-existing narratives into into their own to sort of bolster it um to sort of create this one this one landscape of here is you know, all everyone you know is here, and that's that, that's yeah. Like, it's. I think Dan Olson made this point really well in um, a video he made about Triumph of the Will, where like uh, they used a lot of imagery of um, much much older architecture um, mm-hmm. in order to sort of transplant fascism into the past, as if to say it's always been here. You know, the Greeks were fans of us. As it oh, that, well, that's, yeah, and that's precisely what most of the alt right. I mean, this is like fascist aesthetics one hundred and one, right? Like, yeah, like like Stephen Greek Pinker temples, has, has problems, uh, but a huge portion of his stuff is like he's ultimately a progressive. Like, he, yeah, he's he's a guy who thinks things are getting better, and the thing he's most angry about is is that is that he thinks people aren't like as happy as they should be because the world is so much better. Like he's mm-hmm. he's not the worst, but people have managed to get their claws in and go, oh no, he's one of us now. And that's the, 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 it's like they're taking scientists from us. Like it's. But, uh, you know, they also get taken. The ones that are still around, right? Mm. It's like Dawkins, uh, okay, Hitchens, you can't really claim anything about what he would be doing right now because he's not around or, you know, Orwell or, you know, MLK. Um, But Dawkins you know, they watch what he puts out and it aligns with a lot of what what they say. Of course, there are, you know, his anti-Trump moments and stuff, which, you know, still make me have hope. And I'm like, yay, he hasn't gone that way. But a lot of, you know, that scene is heading in a very anti-SJW direction. Yeah, and I think, like, to a certain extent, maybe we can take some of some of them back. We can, if we learn to celebrate the positive things those people say um, mm-hmm. in a way that makes them go, oh, well, maybe maybe there's, there's more ways of looking at the world than in, in a wider fashion, maybe some good can be done. I'm reminded, uh, this is kind of a weirdly specific exa- example of, like, um, 
Chelsea Manning is a furry now. Like that <laughs> happened because of a very precise, very precise relations between Chelsea and and the rest of Twitter, and that's not something that was done on purpose. But you know, if 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 the cards were played right, you know, Dawkins could have been. Uh, a full full time SJW by now, or could be in the future, and that's he could have been a furry. Yeah, could a have furry been. Dog. Wouldn't that have been great? I mean, he loves been trying to recruit me for a long time. Yeah. Well, this is why I focus on like the the intersection of the left and Islam, and I really wish that you know there could be more discussion about this topic because I think this this is something that the right has on the left that of course a lot of it is straw manning the left and you know they're not pro islamism or whatever but the left doesn't cover this topic i think as well as it could and that leaves a lot of space for the right to swoop in and um you know put their arms around people and claim people claim atheists and claim ex-muslims and scientists and ugh. yeah the left hasn't really there, there isn't there hasn't been a sufficiently unracist way of talking about islam sort of in the wider sphere yet um it's so what's happened hard. is the people who <laughs> is the people who are genuinely racist have have been able to position themselves as well you know this is the only way of saying it so how yeah. could it possibly be yeah yeah, and then people who weren't, who didn't start off that way, get more and more convinced and more and more pushed into that direction or accepting of it. And then the whole Overton window on that shifts where suddenly it's okay to talk about deporting Muslims and, you know, thinking of them as lesser beings, just, you know, as an entire group. It's We, we were talking before we started recording about um, Majid Nawaz, just the, his progression since 2012 when he published a book that I thought was kind of like, it, it was called Radical, but it was Radical on the topic. It dealt with like, mm-hmm. effectively, he blamed his treatment growing up uh, in, in Britain as a, um, you know, as a Muslim on his radicalization he he got where he was as a as a defense mechanism against being treated very poorly mm-hmm. um and to see him then essentially endorse that way of treating people or and the beliefs that lead to that treatment is is absolutely shocking and i i i i wish i wish there was a way of like i wish there was a you know a, another tell all book someone else had written about how he got to where he is in the last like 5 years yeah, you know, Majid has been someone that's been such a disappointment to me. Like, I used to admire him so much and, you know, I had so much hope for what he was going to do. But now he's become this person that goes on Sargon of Akkad's show. And then when people rightfully will, you know, say, hey, why are you going on to, you know, have a friendly chat? It's not even like an adversarial challenging conversation. It's like a, just like a friendly chat to promote your lawsuit against the SPLC. With Sargon of Cod, he'll mock them for being triggered or he'll post these Trump-like memes where he's boxing with the SPLC logo. He's touring proudly with people who, you know, tout the position Islam is worse than Nazism, and you know he's supposed to be like this reformist Muslim. It's, it's, it's insane, and, and that's the final, like the final nail in the coffin for me of, of um of why of why debates evil and no one should do it. Um, it's the <laughs> when when people when people go the, the Nazis were socialists or Islam's worse than like they invent a false discussion so that then no one talks about the actual problem of like. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe racism is bad. 
Like maybe. Yeah. Like people find ways of fabricating a conversation that doesn't need to be had as this big smokescreen just to continue to orbit the actual issue that no one is really talking about. But I have no way, you know, so I try and I try and cut to the heart of that issue, but I also I'm probably bad at it. I, my discussion with Sargon was exactly that. Sargon wants to talk about, wanted to talk about race and crime. And again, this is one of these topics that's presented initially as if, ah, you're not allowed to talk about these statistics. This is forbidden information that the leftist authorities won't let you mention. I said, okay, fine, let's talk about race and crime. Let's talk about the actual reasons that, you know, black communities in the United States have higher crime rates. Yeah. Like, let's go. And then immediately Sarkon goes, well, it's because of the family. The black family is deficient. And I'm like, well, that's not really a good explanation. Uh, and if you yeah. look at the history of, like, redlining and the... Uh, you know, systematic housing discrimination that has kept a lot of black American families from being able to enjoy any kind of middle-class economic success and the sort of black markets that emerged to fill in the gaps left by uh, employment and education opportunities, you know? And he was like, no, 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 it's just the family. It's just, you know, and we went around like that for 40 minutes. So yeah, people are choosing very precisely what they blame and precise and like what they talk about as well. Like maybe, maybe I've missed, maybe I've missed the video where, where Carl talks about the Grenfell tower accident or disaster really and talk about how terrible it was and and who's to blame for it and it's very it's very obvious who's to blame um but his only coverage of the issue was um coverage of a news piece where corbyn said that maybe we should give some of those empty homes to the people who have who have survived that and lost the place they live like that's the only coverage he's done is look what corbyn said about this he wouldn't touch the actual horrific issue it's like how the skeptosphere is dealing with the Me Too, right? So many of the you know prominent men in the movement are posting these vi- these articles that are like anti Me Too from the beginning. They're like, oh, this is a witch hunt. This is his, you know a sex panic or hysteria. Or now we're gonna go into like medieval sexuality and people won't be free anymore to just have normal sexual relations and but it's not like they were posting support for you know even the victims of the worst of the worst most obvious crimes it's the only takes they'll ever post are the anti me too ones or when it comes to the muslim ban yeah. they'll technically say they oppose the muslim ban but the only takes they'll post are the ones that are like written by Douglas Murray which you know which question the protesters protesting the muslim ban yeah, and it's if, like yeah. if you were yeah, like if you take- got them to acknowledge it they would immediately acknowledge that this this thing you know that that me too is obviously a good thing that these these horrible yeah. things have happened or uh, or that the muslim ban is quite obviously a violation of of, of basic freedoms but what they'll do is they'll go oh but now and now i'm going to spontaneously talk about the dangers of islamism yeah and that's that's how it that's how it, that's how they get you yeah, it's a, it's a point not often appreciated enough that a lot of what your politics are, or a lot of what the politics of, for instance, a commentator or a, or a show are, are simply what conversations they decide to have, which mm-hmm. topics they choose in the first place. Like yeah. that largely sets what, you know, the, you, there's an illusion that we form an opinion in response to just what topics are out there. But actually, 
it's, it's the curating that selects what yes. is news mm. that largely determines the conclusions that we reach. So exactly. it's actually not, you know, I think that a lot of the political disagreements between people on the left and people on the right, for instance, are not disagreements about, oh, we're all looking at the same news and we're just reaching different conclusions. It's that we're looking at different news. Like we have a different series of events of, of, of the last few years in our heads because we've been mm. fed entirely different um, kinds of reporting and different things. Our attention simply has been drawn to different events. Um, uh, in a way, I think that's what makes um, the sort of why aren't we talking about Islam responses to the Me Too stuff is, um, I think what, like, to me, in a sense, that's proof that, that Me Too is serving its purpose. It's people are responding, responding sort of with this bewilderedness to the idea that mm. that there's more sides to the issue than the ones that they're aware of. Uh, so they're trying as hard what, yeah, as they can what, to like make it about something that they feel is theirs, um, and that's what what aboutism is about, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's a, it's about saying why are we talking about this event when we should be talking about this event? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in order to make that argument, you already have to have some judgment in your head about which matters are worth prioritizing, um, and usually that judgment is formed on the basis of your preconceived conclusions about what the world is like. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, so, you can yeah. also th- care about multiple things at the same time. Just because you're, uh, I don't know, focusing on feminism at home, the thing that affects you the most doesn't mean that you have no uh, empathy or consideration or care for the women in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I mean, I had a talk with women in Saudi on my show recently, and they were talking about how it's become very frustrating for them to be used as these pawns in this, uh, you know, tactic to undermine feminism in the West when they're like, you know what, women fighting for rights anywhere is an inspiration to us. So, you know, please stop using Saudi women as an excuse to shut down feminists from talking about their issues in the West. This is yeah. somewhat unrelated, but um, the the 35-year cinema ban has been lifted in Saudi Arabia. I know, yes. I could have never dreamed that while I was growing up there. I mean, the movies will be, you know, censored to shreds, like they'll barely make sense and the theaters will be gender segregated, but it's a start. I mean, having the ability to even, to, to even almost consume a media is, is a step. I do, I do wonder how the, the cinemas that are like now allowed to open again, what they did while they were closed all that time. They didn't have them. They're just building new ones now. Like they must. Have, I, I imagine. Yeah. I wonder how that even works. They, I mean, if it was a ban, surely that they must have been coming into existence and then were prevented. Like I'm, I'm curious. I'm not sure why they're phrasing it like a ban because mm. I don't really know. Maybe more, yeah. like Saudi just wasn't developed enough. I don't. I don't know. Actually, 35 years ago, I was not really old enough to pay attention but i know that ever since i've been aware i have not seen like you know empty theaters or you know abandoned theaters they're just not there yeah i'm thinking of it i'm thinking of it in terms of if they banned theaters in the west there'd be a bunch of theaters what would happen to them but if if they'd never even built them then i guess it's a very different thing so where where are they even screening the emoji movie right now that the news is reporting about (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know they were screening the emoji. I guess that's safe. Yeah, Is there that's a sexy the... emoji in there? Uh, unless you're really into pizza, I don't know. Um, Does she have like lipstick on? Because that could be a problem. 
uh, it's pepperoni. So it's, it's, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the movie. I'm just looking at screenshots now. But I, I do. Oh, pepperoni. Oh, yeah, that could be a problem for sure. Never, you know, underestimate Saudi Arabia's pettiness and censorship. <laughs> I mean, I remember cartoons were censored with the word like royal, prince, king, queen. Those were all bleeped out. God, because they don't want you to think about the monarchy. Wow. Yeah, I wonder, strange. Like, I wonder what happens when you, like, when you, like, how much of Lawrence of Arabia would be censored? Can you, can <laughs> Any you? Any bits showing skin, touching. Uh, God. I mean, we used to have Full House and stuff that came on in the evenings, like, especially in Ramadan. So, uh, Full House wasn't, as far as I know, too censored. But you, you got most of the house. Were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We had Small Wonder that used to come on, and that wasn't very censored. I guess wholesome family shows, but nothing from TV now. I don't know how they'd go about that. Can I but, fold this um, Saudi conversation back into the whataboutism conversation? Yeah, 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 oh, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I think that, no, it's okay. Um, what about this other conversation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I think it's actually more sinister than just like a attempt to uh, you know, talk about the things that they want to talk about. It's actually just an attempt to talk about nothing because they don't, in fact, you know, my first, my first response to like, you know, okay, we're talking about the Me Too movement and people are saying, but what about the terrible things that happened to women in Saudi Arabia? Like, okay, like my, my first response is like, I understand that those, that's, that's a valid political activism, but like, what am I as an American feminist supposed to do exactly about Saudi Arabia? Well, of course, the people raising this question don't do anything and they nothing. don't care. Yeah. It's actually, and they shut down women who don't agree with them or their racist depictions yeah, from so, Saudi so, Arabia. They'll shut so them the, down. The what about Saudi Arabia objection is actually not an attempt really to start talking about feminism in Saudi Arabia or, or you know, it's, it's an attempt to not talk about anything, to mm. not to do feminism at all. Yes, 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 yes. It's to deflect. What yeah. about over there? No self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really the tactic of people like Gad Sad. And when it comes to like a woman from Saudi Arabia like me, who is trying to talk about feminism in both contexts, it, it's not acceptable to them. Like Gad Sad went on a four day unhinged meltdown, calling me lobotomized, tagging like high, you know, uh-huh. um, prominent people. Like he just went, he went crazy, and. I don't know. I get under his skin somehow because being the ex-Muslim, being the woman from Saudi Arabia, can't use me to further that far-right bullshit. And that really bothers people. I end up getting dogpiled about how, you know, I'm not a real ex-Muslim then, how I might be Norwegian, how uh, (laughs) I wasn't... I wasn't oppressed enough in Saudi Arabia. Can you imagine like the anti-ID politics, anti-oppression Olympics people dogpiling someone saying that, yes, you were just not sufficiently oppressed. Yeah, if you were oppressed more, then you would be anti-Islam to my tastes. Yes. It's there's also like there's an alternate universe where um the amazing atheist, the very clever smart man, um, as he calls himself, um Said, you know, he shouted really? down, shouted down a feminist who was upset about something, something minor, of course, something, something he cherry picked to be minor to say, why aren't you complaining about the treatment of women in Saudi Arabia? And then went, oh, hang on. And then made, you know, 12 hours worth of videos about an actual problem and maybe something to do about it. 
But instead, it, the thought stopped there. And in a way, that's a tremendous shame. That's what I mean when I say that, that right, what, what, what the whole point of the whataboutism is, yeah. is simply not to think about something else, but to think about nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, same with it's the, the me same. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on. If It's the same with, like, you say, Carl just wanted to blame families. He was like, clearly the problem is black people have some lack of moral characteristics that would allow them to immediately solve it. And you see that the same thing, like, he has this tendency to blame Muslim communities for, like, not adequately calling in um, people who then go on to commit acts of terror, like as in as in the, as if the problem is all the other Muslims for not for not pointing it out, and then when the record actually shows that they did and the police did, did nothing, yeah. um, there there is no response because they've already moved on to the next the next thing that's also all the other Muslims' fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the effect of the what about it's, it's the, the, the black families to blame that position? The effect of that is that. Let's not look into racial injustice in these communities. Let's not look into the causes of poverty and crime. Let's not do anything to fix it. Let's just be, let's sit in moral judgment, right? The, the sort of thing that we're accused of doing, yeah. even. Yeah. Yeah. A it's lot more, of it is projection. Yeah. Yeah, but let, let, let's, uh, I guess, sum this up now because we're hitting an hour and a half. I'm and... so hungry. I haven't, I haven't had my tofu yet. Oh no! <laughs> How's that going? Uh, it's going. It's going really well, actually. I feel. Um, I feel roughly the same, to be honest. But it's taught me some interesting lessons mm. about like. It's less about what you eat and more about having more control over what you eat. Like more like making more active decisions instead of just eating whatever you feel like. Um, mm-hmm. That's like way more of it than any particular thing diet wise. Uh, obviously, obviously, soy doesn't actually uh, feminize you. Uh, no, you didn't get. A pair of breasts or anything? I'm afraid. I'm afraid not. I think. I think I'm exactly as unhealthy as I was when I started. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can say that um, even though we come at this, you know, debating the right uh, with slightly different positions, we generally agree on a lot of stuff. And I think that um, it would be useful to have both tactics. Yeah, out I, I there, wouldn't have it so. any other way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would just say that when it comes to debating uh, certain people on the right, I think we just have to be careful with who it is and not necessarily maybe everyone is worth conversing with. I don't know about, I mean, I don't know enough about Blair White, but she doesn't well, strike me Well, when someone as... drops out of the last three attempts to debate them you have, I think that's a good sign to stop. Did she ever get back to people? Like, why did she just stop she, responding? Well, she, got, she got back to Theron to say, why did you cancel the event? I was just busy. I wasn't even paying attention. I was getting my passport ready. But of course she what? wasn't. Okay. That's, <laughs> so, that's so unprofessional. Yeah. But, I think that's yeah. probably what I would do is I would start agreeing to debates and then just not show up. I think that's probably <laughs> what I, and then I would pretend that I'd I'd like that I'd just missed it or there'd been something. But I would just keep doing it. That's there's a couple of people have asked me to debate them and part of part of me has wanted to go, yeah, sure, and then just not do it. But Oh, is that that's not what you almost did today, is it? No, no. My my the only other thing I would say about debates, uh this is sort of if I could if I could sound bite eyes my version of it is Mm-hmm. Um, the debate is actually always already happening. Um, the issues are already already being discussed in someone's in people's minds and in the minds of the audience. Um, I remember it's sort of very very bright in my memory. Um, 
the Honey Badgers asked me to come on their show to debate with Carl about the one in five campus sexual assault study. Um, this was before he put out a video uh, apologizing for his mistakes and then retracted it when um, the Gary Epi guy um, defended him using, using garbage. Like there was a period where I was invited to debate this study and I realized that the reason they were they were using their platform to ask me to debate with them was because then then they could have the wrestling match version of this conversation. Um because letting it just be here's a video responding to these ideas, they couldn't abide that because that was an actual that was an actual conversation. That was someone taking the time to reply carefully to something. Mm-hmm. Um and I think when I see someone say debate me my first thought is you have the platform right now to speak to me. You could have written the problem with my way of looking at things in, in the box you wrote debate me in and you didn't. And that says something. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's something I I, I try to hammer home a lot is, you know, we have these fantastic miraculous platforms or at least potentially miraculous platforms in, in the form of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and so on. And you could always be challenging me, but instead you want me to to do it in a specific way. Like that's why, why aren't you just having the conversation? Why is that not enough? Uh, that's, that's a question I find myself asking more and more, but that that's kind of. Yeah. Then, then it becomes it. about personal vendettas and less about issues maybe, but yeah. Contra, any last words? Um, debate is good, except when it isn't. <laughs> Why don't you Which debate me about this? I you, guess you're we'll trying to. You're not having. This is the thing that you won't let me talk about. <laughs> the silencing. The why left has tried to silence who on this, you. Who won this debate? Why won't the leftists keep keep letting? Why won't they? Let's continue to orbit the issue without having to talk about it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> right, right. These are all tactics, and I mean, I think contra uh, what. When I heard about your debate with those two people, I was, first I was like, oh, because it was a ticketed event, I was like, ah, for this free free speech yeah. club, whatever. You know, I kind of cringed. But then I saw how people were, like, treating you over this, and that yeah. was way over the top. That was absolutely ridiculous and unacceptable. And, you know, I wish I wish we wouldn't do this to our own people. Yeah, so um, I think that's this is my final thought, that – if you disagree with my tactics or the debates that I choose to do, I actually think that's perfectly fine. And I want people to express their concerns and criticisms because I, it helps me keep, mm-hmm. a, you know, because sometimes I'm motivated by other motivations. Like I want to do a debate event because I'm doing a favor for someone involved who I like or something, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? All kinds of reasons go into my mm-hmm. decision to participate in a thing. So it's important to me that other people are kind of keeping tabs, are letting me know. If I'm fucking up, um, however, when people just assume the absolute worst, think that I've decided to collude with evil, and that I, you know, am, am just a terrible person, like that makes it, it makes me hard. It makes it hard for me to think clearly about this because it's yeah. so upsetting. Um, yeah. So if people are seriously interested in this uh, question of like how to be a leftist on the internet, I would just ask that we try a little bit more to like be respectful of different approaches mm-hmm. and to keep our criticisms constructive. There's very unproductive ways to criticize people. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that you changed, uh, you know, the event was changed to where the ticket, the profits yeah. were going to a charity, and that was excellent. Because I, I threatened to drop out. Uh huh. That's not publicly known, but that's why. Oh, okay. I well, think you should have, it should have been did. changed so that the money went to you. Um, I think the next time you subject <laughs> yourself to all I'll of this, make sure you're making a yeah. lot of money out of it. Well, I initially probably would have made money out of it because there would have been honorar speaker's fees. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. But nice. when Blair canceled, there wasn't? Blair canceled, yeah. So so I went to Vancouver. Nothing was paid for me. I paid for the flights. I paid for what? food, lodging, no speaker fee whatsoever. All the money raised from the event went to a transgender charity called the Trevor Project. LGBT charity, rather. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we all uh, learn from these experiences. And maybe if the same sort of... Is it a right-wing club, like school club? or M- Mostly. Um, yeah. It's kind of like shitlord centrist, I would say. Uh huh. Yeah, and then I guess the balance was also tipped not in your favor, right? There was like two uh, against you. So that's, the, that's the other thing that's not publicly known, is that Theron in recent months is much more sympathetic to my positions than she is to Blair's. Yes, I've actually started following her, and I've I suggest following been her. Loving her, her. her. She's very smart. Loving her. her she's time recently time shifted line. leftward, um, and you know. Here's the here's here's a good final thought. Like people can change. Like people yeah. are not immutable evil. And you know, so many of these look at YouTubers. It's like a bunch of babies. I'm 29 and I'm, I feel old on this website. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was a fucking idiot when I was 23 years old. And so when I see people be, you know, like there's there's people who are going to change their minds. There's people who actually will change. And Theron's one of those people. She's had a huge ch- political change over yeah. her. Um, career on YouTube and like this is, you know I, I I'm not going to take credit for it but part part of it is like I've had a lot of conversations with her about it mm-hmm. and and you know she's reached all these conclusions on her own of course mm-hmm. but like it's good to have some people on the left who are willing to kind of reach out and say like hey right seem, I've actually you know like I'm willing to have this conversation with you because you genuinely seem curious about yeah about what I have to say there's definitely people out there who it's worth it's worth engaging them in good faith at least once just to try um yes Yes, I, like, absolutely. Yeah, I, I criticized a, a certain um, a certain person in armor uh, recently, and uh-huh. never got <laughs> never got a response except for they left a yeah. comment on another video. Um, and some would regard that as a failure. That like I I took them yeah. I took them seri- that I took seriously the idea that they wanted to have that conversation. Um, but I regard it as a success that I, to me, I actually tried. Like that I I, I gave that attempt. Yeah. I think that's worth doing sometimes. I mean, and I'll say that, like, of course, you know, one of the issues is that a lot of these right-wing people or or centrist people, like the certain people who wear armor, like, once it's a career for you and you're set up, ready to go, as this is your job, it's very difficult to change anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But not everyone on YouTube is like that, you know. Theron, this wasn't her job, so she could just say whatever she wanted, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she, in fact, lost most of her audience by changing what what her thoughts were. Yeah, I actually I, I relate to that a lot uh, because oh, yeah, you I went through the same to, thing, right? Yeah, I used to speak yeah. a lot about Islam, and then I realized that, especially in this climate, I will not be used for that. So um, mm-hmm. I've been I've been I'm hearing some some really good things about neoliberalism lately. Uh, so <laughs> this is good trolling. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I I have to say like the the joke in your video uh, contrapoints is a tanky a neoliberal tanky is neoliberal the funniest tanky. thing I've ever heard. 
I feel like it just like sums up what you look at on Twitter every day as a leftist I content get that producer. Every right? single day, yeah. I get that. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> These simultaneous accusations of being of fascist sympathizing capitalist neoliberal, yes, and yes. also of being just a unapologetic Stalinist. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it was lovely chatting to you, and hopefully our conversation will be useful to uh, others who are thinking about this whole debate thing and talking about talking and tactics around that. So thanks so much. I hope we'll speak again. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Yes, but it's been great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Contra. And was definitely a pleasure chatting with you too, H-Bomb. First time, but... It's occasionally a pleasure talking to me too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Nice Mangoes. If you want to make a one time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help.